So John 15 verse 1 to 17. I am the true vine and my father is, is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Kept my father's commandments. Abide and abide in his love. Those things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask for father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Thanks, Manny. So as we mentioned already, this is the season of Lent. It's a season of 40 days leading up to Easter, where we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus for us. And during this season, we as a church have been going through a Lent Bible reading plan together with many other churches of Hong Kong, where we are reading through the book of John and 1 John together during this season. And uh, as, as part of that, we're also doing a sermon series during this time on the I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. So seven different times in the book of John, Jesus says, I am the something. And each of those statements shows us something really important about who Jesus thought he was and how he calls us to respond to him. So today we're looking at his teaching, I am the vine. And as we start thinking about today's passage, I want to ask you a question. Do you want your life to make a difference in the world? Do you want your life to make a difference in the world? 
Do you want to have the knowledge that after you're gone, the world is a better place because you were in it? You know, Justine's grandma died this week, and I think she's someone who made an amazing positive impact in the world. And because she died this week, and we've been mourning her and preparing for the funeral, death, I think, has been on my mind a bit more than usual this week. And whenever I think about death, this is one of the first questions that comes to mind. Like, what impact will I make in my life so that when I'm gone, the world can be a better place? How can I make a lasting, positive impact on the world? And I know, I know I'm weird in many ways. I don't think that's one of them. I think that that desire to make a difference in the world is one of the most common desires of the human heart. I mean, that's why people donate millions of dollars to get their names put on buildings. Because they, they want future generations to remember this person made the world a better place. And you and I, we may not have the money to put our names on a building, but I believe that most, if not all of us, still have that desire to know we made a difference on the earth. To have things, the things that we do here last and be remembered. But have you ever thought about what it takes to make that type of lasting difference in the world? And in today's passage, we're looking at one of Jesus' I am statements where he's teaching us how to live in a way that makes a lasting difference in the world. And what we're going to see as we look at today's passage is that for our lives to make a positive, lasting difference, we must abide in Jesus. And we'll ask three questions. What is abiding? Why don't we abide? And how do we abide? But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you've given this word to us. And in your word, you teach us how to live in a way that is best, in a way that honors you, in a way that aligns with how we're created to live. I pray that you would be with us today as we look at your word, give us clarity and understanding and help us to, to, have a, to walk away from here with a desire to follow you and abide in you and live for you and live in a way that makes a lasting difference in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first question today, what is abiding? As you listen to the scripture reading, I'm sure you heard that word come up several times. And I, I realized the first issue with our main idea today is that the word abide isn't a super common word in our world today. I did some research recently about how often words appear in different books over time. And my research said that the word abide is rare enough in today's world that on average for every three novels you read, not like an article or whatever, but a big novel for every three novels that you read, this word abide will only show up once. So it would be quite understandable if many of us had absolutely no idea what this word means, which is why our first question is, what is abiding? And abiding simply means remaining or staying. Abiding is living in a life-giving relationship with Jesus where you have a daily dependence and reliance on him. Using Jesus' illustration here of the vine and the branches, uh, abiding means being connected to Jesus in such a way that his life flows into us and gives us life. Just like how life flows from a vine's roots into its branches, his life flows into us. And obviously, this is a 
spiritual connection between Jesus and us that he's talking about here, not a physical one. Maybe a real world illustration would help us understand what this might look like. You can think of marriage. Marriage is supposed to be this mutually life-giving relationship. By being married to one another, a husband and a wife are meant to encourage and support one another and help one another through tough times. But imagine this scenario with me. A couple gets married, and then one of the spouses just packs up and goes and lives in a different country from their spouse. They never write to their spouse. They never call their spouse. They never visit each other. There's no communication, no interaction. Are, are they going to have that life-giving relationship? No, not at all. They're not going to have that life-giving relationship because they're not abiding with one another. They'll have some legal paperwork to say that there's a relationship, but there won't be any daily evidence of that relationship. There won't be any encouragement or support or strengthening one another to help them get through a day. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus calls us to live in a day-to-day life-giving relationship with him. He says that by staying connected to him, when we remain with him on a day-to-day basis, that's how we receive the spiritual vitality and life that we need to operate properly in the world. And so think about what that means. It means that being a Christian isn't just about life after death and having a get out of hell free card for when we die. Being a Christian is actually meant to give us real world strength and comfort today to help us with whatever circumstances we're facing, whether that's COVID lockdowns, whether that's wars and rumors of war, sick family members, instability in our jobs, whatever other issues we may be facing, if we are not abiding in Jesus on a day-to-day basis, we're missing out on real-world resources that Jesus wants to give us today. It also means that if you're not taking time each day to be with Jesus and, and grow closer to him, and your spiritual life just consists of the fact that you prayed a prayer once to become a Christian a while back, and that's about it. You're not abiding. Saying, oh, I prayed a prayer once, and that's about the extent of my spiritual life, is kind of like saying, I had this wedding ceremony five years ago. I haven't spoken to my spouse since. If that's the case, you're kind of missing the point of what it means to be married. And once again, by not abiding, you're missing out on the real world resources for living that Jesus wants to give you today. Abiding isn't some super spiritual accomplishment for ultra Christians. It's simply living in a life-giving relationship with Jesus, where you have a daily dependence and reliance on him. And it's what all Christians are called to do. There are real world resources available today for those who abide in Jesus, who remain in a life-giving relationship with him each day. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would have to say so many of us so often struggle to abide. And because of that, we end up missing out on these resources that God wants to give us for life. So before we look at how to abide, let's first identify some of our trouble areas when it comes to abiding. And our first, our our question there is, why don't we abide? And there are several reasons we don't abide. We don't have time to go into all of them. I want to highlight a couple that stick out here today. And the first is that 
we often just look to wrong vines. Did you notice in chapter 15, verse one, Jesus doesn't simply say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. Why add that extra word? You only need to clarify that you're the true vine if there's also false vines out there. In the context of the Bible, Israel was actually supposed to be God's vine, God's vineyard. They were supposed to live in such a way, the Old Testament says, that they bore fruit. And them living in this way was meant to encourage all the nations around them to come and worship their God because the nations around them saw how great Israel's God was and they wanted to worship him. But the problem we see throughout the Old Testament is that Israel consistently, repeatedly failed. They failed to live properly as God's vine. They failed to bear fruit. They, they failed. And that's why we need this new, better, true vine. Because so many people in Jesus' day were counting on their Jewish ethnic background to give them a relationship with God. They thought, because I was born into this nation, because I was born into this family, I'm good with God. And Jesus, by saying he's the true vine, not Israel, He's telling his disciples and us, you don't get to God by being born into a certain family or by being born into a certain religious group or ethnic group. The only way to get to God and have a life-giving relationship with him is through knowing and living in a relationship with Jesus. And that's not just something that happened 2000 years ago, there are still people in our world today who think, you know, I'm good with God because I was born into a Christian family or a Christian nation. But Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. We don't get to God through being born into it. We need to abide in Jesus ourselves to have a relationship with him. If we're relying on family or race or ethnic group for our security with God, we are relying on a false vine. But placing our hope in our family or our ethnic group, like the Jewish people of Jesus dated, that's not the only false find out there. That's definitely a false find, but there are others too. And in our world today, every single day, you and I have voices coming at us from all sides, promising us that if we just attach ourselves to this vine or that vine, we will get true abundant life. Maybe it's the vine of success. Hey, if you get the best grades in school, you'll be on the path to full abundant life. If you get promoted to managing director in your company, true life is yours. Maybe it's the vine of romance. You know, just find that special someone to love you forever and you will have the full, abundant, fruitful life you've always wanted and dreamed of. Maybe it's the vine of control. If I can just keep my family safe and secure, avoid them being exposed to COVID and keep my kids from making bad choices as they grow up, then I will have full, abundant, and great life. Maybe your vine of choice is a different one. But regardless of which false vine we choose to attach ourselves to, the reality is no false vine can ever give us the lasting satisfaction and fruitfulness our souls crave. Let me say that again. No false vine can ever give us that lasting satisfaction and fruitfulness that our souls crave. And by definition, 
If you're attached to a false vine, you can't be attached to Jesus, the only true vine, at the same time. Trusting in and connecting to false vines keeps us from abiding in Jesus. I mean, just to unpack one of those examples that I listed and show how this works. Take that vine of control. Is it good to have a safe, healthy family full of people who make good choices? Absolutely, yes. That's a good thing. If, you, if you're thinking I'm trying to trap you, I'm not. That, that, that's a genuinely good thing. But what happens when that becomes the primary place we look to in order to get a full abundant life? We become neurotic control freaks. We need everything to go just our way or else. And think about this. Have you ever in your life once been around a neurotic control freak and thought to yourself, wow, that person has a really good life. I wish my life could be just like theirs. Have you ever had that thought? Like you see a control freak and you're like, that's the way I want to live. I want to be like that. No, never. Because of course, when we see someone living that way, we see that they're miserable and we thank God that we're not like that, even if we are, and we're just too blind to recognize it in ourselves, right? Like if we're looking for life in that false vine of control, we're going to grasp for control over everything in life because we think it will give us the fruitful, abundant life we need, but it never can. It's a false vine. It will leave us miserable instead. And Jesus is offering us true life if we find it in him instead of being in control. As long as we're trying to find true life from false vines, we won't be abiding in Jesus. We won't be experiencing the blessings that come from being connected to him. So false vines are one thing that keep us from abiding. The second thing that keeps us from abiding is, is just fear. Did you notice what Jesus says about the father's role in this process in verses one and two? He says, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, do you guys know what pruning is? Pruning is when you cut back parts of the plant. So the plant can give the maximum level of energy to the branches that are going to grow the healthiest, best grapes. So pruning, it's cutting things back. It's getting rid of living and growing parts of the plant so that the plant can be more fruitful in the future, which is a painful process. Justine and I, we were driving this past week and we actually drove past a vineyard and the vines were pruned back for the winter. They were pruned back so far. Each vine just looks like a bare tree branch growing out of the ground. Can you think about what it would feel like in your life to have that type of cutting back happen where you just are at a point where there's, there's like nothing left but the bare bones. That's a painful experience. And I did some research on pruning recently. It helped me understand on an even deeper level just how painful pruning can be. Here's one of the things that I learned, and it comes from a website called Modern, Modern Farmers, so you know it has to be true, right? They said grapevines produce fruit on one-year-old wood. Some of the buds on one-year-old wood grow flowers, which develop into fruit, while the buds on older wood produce only leaves or shoots. Now, think about what that means for pruning. On a physical grapevine, the parts of the vine that grew fruit last year, 
are the ones that need to get cut off this year because the same branch doesn't bear fruit twice. Now, I don't know about you. I find a certain level of comfort in my past success in life. Knowing I was successful at doing something a certain way in the past just makes me comfortable. But as a good gardener, the things from my past that I want to rest on and rely on, they're often going to be exactly the things God prunes from my life to make space for new growth. And that's uncomfortable. I'm afraid of having those things cut out of my life. There's a part of me that kind of feels like, well, if it's going to be that way, I prefer a different path that doesn't involve pruning, right? But the only way to avoid pruning is by avoiding abiding. And that's a path that leads to death. If we want a comfortable and convenient life, we're going to be hesitant and afraid to abide. But pruning is necessary if we're going to bear fruit. So we don't abide because we trust in false vines. We don't abide because we're afraid of the pain of pruning. And then third, we don't abide because we have an overinflated sense of our own ability. Jesus says in verse five, apart from me, you can do nothing. On a day-to-day basis, how many of us actually believe that that's true? I don't a lot of the time. And if we don't actually believe that's true, we're going to rely on ourselves to do what only Jesus working in us can do. But the problem is, as long as we're relying on our own effort, as long as we're believing we are somehow capable of doing what only Jesus can do, we're not abiding in the true vine. And I know like on one level, there's a lot of things that we can do without abiding in Jesus. If you look at the world around you, you can see non-Christians every day working, earning a paycheck, raising families, maybe even doing some really good things in their communities. So what does Jesus mean when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing? Well, he means that ultimately, if we're operating apart from him, then the things we do won't last. They won't make that lasting positive difference in the world that he wants us to make and we want to make. The building we sponsor, it's going to be torn down for new ones. Maybe our pride and selfishness are going to corrupt our interactions with others when we're trying to help them. Apart from Jesus, we can't make a difference for eternity. He says in verse 16, it's only when we abide in him that our fruit abides, that it remains to make a lasting positive difference in the world. And you know our ultimate struggle when it comes to abiding in Jesus? As Jesus says here, we're completely incapable of abiding in him through our own power. And we can see this not only because Jesus explicitly says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but also look at how his argument is structured. Look at these four verses right here. In verse four, he says, abide in me. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 17, these things I command you so that, or with the intended result that you will love one another. Now, I know that's a lot of verses in a row, but let's put them together and see what we get. So he commands us to abide in him, but to abide in him, we have to love one another. So we need to love in order to abide. We need to abide in order to truly love. You can't do one without doing the other. You don't have the power to start doing the other one unless you're doing the first one already. There's this cycle going on here and and there's no on-ramp to the circle from the outside through our own effort. 
If we're relying on ourselves, there's nothing we can do to get in on this loop unless we're already inside it. And if we're not, then we need something to get us in there. Otherwise, we're, we're just stuck. There's nothing we can do through our own power to begin this life-giving abiding that's going to allow us to live in a way that makes a lasting positive difference in the world. To get in, we need a miracle. And when we see that, that's what brings us to our final question today. How do we abide? And the answer is, in order to abide, we need grace. Grace gets us into the loop. At the end of the day, Jesus, as, as getting in on abiding, it's not about us trying harder and doing better. It's not about us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps so we can prove to God how really useful we are. It's simply about Jesus getting us in through his work. Look what he says in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Do you realize as Jesus spoke these words, he, he was walking with his disciples from the last supper to the garden of Gethsemane, where he was going to be arrested. And over the course of the next day, he was going to be put on trial, beaten and mocked, eventually executed as a criminal, even though he'd done absolutely nothing wrong. And why did he go through all of this? Because he was acting as the living embodiment of his own teaching right here. He was laying down his life for his friends, including those of us who trust in him today. And what does it mean that his death was for us? Well, it means there was something you and I need, but we can't get it on our own through our effort. And Jesus dying provides us what we need in a way that we could never have provided it for ourselves. Through his death for us, the way is open for you and me to have the access to this new life-giving relationship of abiding in Jesus, this relationship we can never earn access to through our own efforts. And yeah, once Jesus saves us, our obedience becomes important as we see throughout this passage. But it's only important because we who used to be disconnected branches, we've now been connected to Jesus so that we can bear fruit. It's not that us bearing fruit earns our way onto the vine. It's that us being on the vine changes us into the type of people who now can bear fruit. We have a new identity a new life through the grace that he's given us. And because of that, we live differently. And so once we have that new life, how do we intentionally grow in our abiding each day? Well, God's given us certain tools called spiritual disciplines to help us intentionally abide. And, and the spiritual disciplines probably won't be shocking or new to you. Even if you're brand new to church, you've seen most of these things as elements of our service today. Like, Bible reading, prayer, going to church, meeting up to live life alongside other Christians. Doing these things, not just once a week, but on a day-to-day, -day, even a moment-by-moment -moment basis, that's how we stay connected to the true vine. Did you notice that not once, but twice in this passage, Jesus makes some really big, huge, open-ended promises about how he'll answer whatever prayers we ask him? That's not some sort of blank check where he's saying, hey, if you want to be a billionaire, all you have to do is become a Christian and I will give you whatever you want. No, that's him reminding us this abiding thing is really hard. You don't have the resources within yourself to do it. 
in order to keep on abiding, you need some great, big, huge, open-ended help. We need miracles. And he is promising to give us all the help we could ever need. And as I mentioned spiritual disciplines here, remember the goal of spiritual disciplines is a relationship. It's abiding. It's not just checking a box to say we've done it. So like relationships can't survive without good communication. So you need some level of interaction with God through his word and prayer and his people. You won't have a vibrant relationship with God without those things. But the goal isn't to just do these things so we can check a box and say, I've made it. I'm a good Christian because I've done these things. No, the goal is to know God. Maybe it would help to think of it this way. Imagine I read a book on how to be a great husband. And the book says all great husbands do three things. One, they help with the dishes. Two, they read a bedtime story to the kids. And three, they take their wives on a weekly date night. And I decide I want to be a great husband. So I start doing these three things. After dinner every night, I help with the dishes. When the kids are going to bed, I take a few minutes to read them a bedtime story every night. And then once per week, I take Justine out for a nice date night. Now, are all three of these things generally good things for husbands to do? Generally, probably yes. But will I automatically be a great husband with a great marriage because I'm doing these things? Maybe, but not automatically. Because having a great marriage is not about the boxes you check of things that you do each week. It's about actually having a relationship with your spouse. Helping with the dishes is a great thing for husbands to do. But often in my marriage, at least, helping with the dishes is not the most helpful thing I can do around the house. Many days, it's actually far more helpful for Justine if I take an hour off work in the afternoon to help with the kids while they're awake, and then I go back in and finish my work once the kids are in bed while she does the dishes. If I say no to helping with the kids, because I need to get my work done so I'm free to do the dishes once they're in bed because all good husbands help with the dishes, I'm actually going to miss out on having a loving relationship with Justine. I'm going to miss out on the true relationship because I'm so focused on what I think I need to do to get that relationship. And in the same way, spiritual disciplines are essential for growing closer to Jesus. Like communicating with God, connecting with his people, that is essential but you need to find what actually works for you and helps you connect with him, not just what helps you check a box. So if you're not communicating, you won't have a strong relationship, but maybe with something like reading your Bible, maybe that's something that for you, unless you do it first thing in the morning with a hard copy of the Bible, it's not going to, it's not going to connect with you. If that's the case, do it first thing in the morning with a hard copy of the Bible. Maybe you're someone who, if you're staring at words on the page, it means nothing to you. But if you listen to it on an audio Bible, you're like, man, that just comes to life in a way that it never comes to life on a page. Listen to an audio Bible. Maybe for you, whether you're reading or listening or whatever, it doesn't stick with you unless you journal about it or discuss it with a friend. Start journaling or find someone to talk about it with. You need to be hearing from God, but the key isn't here's exactly when and how you must do it. It's What actually helps your relationship with him grow deeper? What actually helps you abide? And we see in verse 11, Jesus' goal in commanding us to abide, it's not to burden us. It's not to make us miserable. It's to give us joy. Joy that can only be found in knowing him. 
practicing spiritual discipline so we can abide in Jesus. It's a path to lasting joy. And when we do this, Jesus will begin to transform us from the inside out to be people who bear abiding fruit. It won't happen overnight because fruit doesn't grow overnight. But Jesus, he's redefining success for us right here. He's saying success is bearing fruit, and that is liberating. Society tells us success is moving up and to the right. As time goes by, things only get better and better and better. But that is so tied to your circumstances. Like, how do you move up and to the right when you're locked in a tiny Hong Kong flat with screaming young kids during COVID? If you try to do that, you will drive yourself crazy. You will constantly feel like a failure and you will be overwhelmed. But if success, if success is bearing fruit, if success means by the grace of God, growing things like love, joy, peace, patience, that's not dependent on your circumstances at all. Actually, if bearing fruit is our definition of success, there are elements of peace and patience that you can learn during COVID lockdown in a way you would never be able to learn them otherwise. And if you're frustrated because this process of growing fruit is taking longer than you'd like in your life, that's okay. Did you know that grapevines don't actually start growing a crop of grapes until their third year? And even then it's a small crop. But as the branches keep staying attached to the life-giving power of the vine, and they keep being tended by a skillful and caring vine dresser. Their production grows and grows and grows each year until they produce a full crop. The key isn't that we need to be super productive and have everything worked out today. The key is that if we keep staying connected to Jesus, the true vine, and we stay patient, he will transform us into the people that he wants us to be. People who live in a way that makes a lasting, positive difference in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us and your care for us and your desire to see us live in a fruitful and productive way in our lives. Forgive us for the times that we have failed to abide properly, whether it's because of fear, whether it's because of false vines, whether it's because of just thinking that we had a power in ourselves that we don't have, God. Teach us to abide in you, to live in that life-giving relationship with you each day. Yeah, God, we love you. Teach us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I didn't mention it at the start of the sermon, but we will do sermon Q&A today. So if you have any questions about the sermon, go ahead and send them into the Zoom chat uh, to Les, and he will uh, lead the discussion so that we can chat if you have any questions about anything that was said in the sermon or anything from the passage that wasn't mentioned in the sermon, you can go ahead and, and type them in in the Zoom chat and send them to Les and he will uh, yeah, start us on that discussion in just a minute. Okay, I'm gonna wait um, a few more seconds.
Any other questions coming in? You can raise your hand just so I know you're... Okay, I'll start us off with, uh, with a question here. Um, Eric, uh, you mentioned that Jesus defined success as bearing fruit. And then you mentioned that fruit is things like love, joy, peace, and patience. Where do you get these things are the fruit Jesus is talking about? Yeah, so uh, in Galatians chapter 5, um, G, uh, Paul is writing, and he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, and so I'm, I'm using that as my reference here. It's not necessarily in this passage specifically that I'm preaching from today. Uh, but the Bible tells us that, that the fruit that the Holy Spirit brings, that, that God living in us produces in our lives is going to be these things. Okay, thank you. Um, let's see, there are no other questions coming in this morning. Um, okay. I think uh, we should be able to break out into sermon discussion groups now. Oh, wait, right. hang on. One just came in. Um, sure. Um, the question is, is abiding equal to obeying? Hmm. So that's a really good question. I think that um, they are, if you, if you think of like a Venn diagram, they're different circles that have lots of overlapping room, um, but that aren't necessarily equal. Uh, in the sense that if, if you're just constantly ignoring God, not obeying him, um, you're not going to have a solid relationship with him. Um, but at the same time, you can think of, you know, um, plenty of kids who follow their parents' instructions to the letter, but don't actually have a good relationship with their parents. They just have learned that this is how the system works. If I obey, then I, then life goes better for me and my parents leave me alone and I don't get in trouble. And so I'm going to keep the rules so that I can do what I want and not be in trouble, but it's not actually coming from a place of love. It's actually coming from a place of, I just want to be free to live my life how I want to a certain extent. Um, and so I would say obeying is essential for abiding, but it's not the same thing as abiding. Uh, another question came in is pruning pain and suffering or correction and God asking us to repent. Um, pain and suffering or correction. I think it could be either one. I think the, the main thing about pruning is that it's, it's taking the non-essentials out of our lives so that we have space for the essentials. And I think sometimes that happens through pain and suffering um, where it's not necessarily that we've been doing something wrong, but that, you know, something happens and we realize, Hey, I, I can reprioritize my life or this is an invitation to reprioritize my life um, and make God a bigger part of it. Where other times that comes in the form of correction, where we've clearly been doing something wrong and God sends us consequences for our actions into our lives to get our attention and wake us up and say, Hey, snap out of it. Like come back. Um, and I think either one of those could be an element of pruning. I think the, the key element of pruning 
is that it's it's taking away the non-essentials so that we have more capacity for the most important things. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, the next question is, how, how do I get back to abiding after I've fallen away or backslidden? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I think, I think the, the first thing I would say is like, be patient. Um, I've been using the marriage illustration a bunch today. I mean, think about that. Like if you and your spouse just stop talking for three years and then say, Hey, we want to work on repairing our relationship. You don't expect that your first date back together is going to be wonderful and everything's perfect again. Um, but if you consistently invest in that relationship a little bit each day, then, then it's going to strengthen over time. Or maybe another way of thinking of it, like if you don't go to the gym for three years, if you say, all right, I've decided I'm going to get, I'm going to get buff. I'm going to get fit. And you just go in and you spend eight hours on the weight machines one day, you're going to get injured probably. Um, but if you go in for 20 minutes a day, every day consistently, and you just, you know, keep sticking with it, eventually you're going to get in shape. You don't necessarily know when it's going to happen. You can't necessarily like put a timeline on it, timeline on it, but eventually you're going to look in the mirror one day and be like, what just happened to my body? Like, this is totally different than it used to be before I started going to the gym. And I think the key is, is not necessarily like, here's a quick fix, but I think the big thing is just faithfulness and consistency. And I know personally for me, and I think this is again, a pretty universal thing having people around us to encourage us and hold us accountable is, is super key for faithfulness and consistency. And so I would encourage you if, if that is you like one, just start, start small, start with something that you can actually handle right now. Maybe that's five minutes a day. If that's all you have, start there. Um, and find someone, find someone who can help encourage you in that process and hold you accountable so that it can be a, a continual process of, of growing and be patient. 